This is The Refuge Project, a place that we can have meaningful conversation in a safe place. Yeah, we and we have a special, special, yeah, special do. guest yeah, we here do. today. Yeah, we do. <laughs> one of my pastors, one of the guys I've looked up to pretty much my whole life. And at one point in my life, until he corrected me, I said, Pastor, if I could, if I could just, just make it to where you are. <laughs> And you told me one time, listen, if, if that's all you're, you know, you're, you're striving for, you're gonna, you're gonna miss out on a lot of things in life. He said, you gotta, you gotta put your eyes on Jesus. And but you know, as a, as a youngster, um, we're talking about Pastor Ron. Pastor Ron, did I not say Pastor no, no, Ron? No, Pastor we, Ron, I'm he's sorry. a big leader. We didn't quite get to the Pastor name, Ron is in the building. He's a lot of people's pastor, but he's one of my pastors, um, and he's been a part of uh, my family's life. For a long, long time. You're telling me. Uh, <laughs> been part of your life uh, forever. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you're a youngster, um, you don't really realize how big God is as, as a little guy, you know. But you, when you look at your pastor, you're like, wow. Like, he's the holy of holies. Uh, but it's really not true. Yeah. Uh, but you think he is. And I think that's where a lot of people fail in their life because they look at their pastor of 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 him being God, and then when, and he is a man. So when he makes a wrong decision or a wrong, or maybe not not even wrong, but something that feels wrong to you, then they fall out of church because they don't realize the man on the stage is just a man, just like you are. Right? Um, we have to hold him to a higher accountability. We have, you know, we have to hold ourselves to that. But at the same time, we also have to remember that they're just men. That they're just men. I want to thank you for coming in here on a, on a short notice. I had this idea last night, and I told James. He said, "Well, it's just late. It's just late. So just grab him in the morning and see what yeah. he says." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thanks for being here, Pastor Ron. You mean so much to me. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Very, very good. Um, we're going to kind of just skip by on a lot of the the, the uh, you know the formal stuff, but we do want to. Jump in on, on some of uh, you know our regular stuff. So let's go ahead, and I got a song for you today. And uh, when when I pick this song, I normally if I we got a guest, I try to you know pick it for our guest something that they would enjoy. Uh, and when the, when I was thinking about you, this is the this is the song. It's probably not the version that let's, you're used to, <laughs> but this is the song that kind of reminds me of you. Uh, you've sang it over the years and different things. This is 
um, a song that always gets chill bumps. And there's, I've heard y'all talk about it over the years, especially you being, you know, the choir director, and then now Stacy and Stacy still tries to pick out some of these songs. And how how does the anointing transfer over the years? To these, from one one generation to the next generation on these songs, because it's not the person that sings it, it's not that the musicians that are playing it, but there's something about the anointing of the words in songs like this that just transcend generations. That's absolutely true, man. I love those old hymns. I've sung that song. Probably hundreds of times, but it's just an anointed song. It's God anoints certain songs. I remember when "Because He Lives" comes out, you know, and and you could sing it almost every other week, and it it's just a, an anointed song. I, we need more of those, and and there's new songs like that, you know. I can only imagine my my goodness that song. Every time you hear it, it's it's just an anointed song. And then, then there's songs that are good songs. It's got a good melody, but it doesn't transcend generations like some of these songs. Appreciate you playing that song. Yeah, it's th- th- these songs right here. You know, now it's funny because as you uh, as you grow up, you know, you're you're uh, you, you come through the the youth, right, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, you want all the new songs. You don't want any of the old songs. We're, this is the this is the next generation for the church. You know, we need to play the the new songs, and and then somewhere <laughs> in your forties, you're like, man, that, that early service songs is just oh. <laughs> but I still love the new stuff too. You know, right. but there's still something about, and I I don't, I don't know if it's because it takes. It takes you back to a, a place in life, you know. A song like that would take me back um, of me crawling under the wooden pews in the old church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it takes me back to a special place where that I was just figuring out my relationship with God, you know. And it was a, a it was um, a pure, a very much of a pure thing when you're a little a little guy right. trying to figure out your relationship with with God. And so those. For me, a lot of those songs take me back to yeah. that place and the felt boards in Sunday school and <laughs> and and things like that, you know. Um, and, and and the anointing of on on top of it is just the uh, for me. It's just and and I think we. I don't know if the next generation will get it, uh, but probably because it does transcend generation to generation. Like this is uh, Lauren Daigle. Here she is. She's the 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 new. You know, Christian singer that everything that she touches goes gold. You know, but she still finds a place to, uh, you know, sing this song. You know, yeah. You know, they say that, uh, like in popular music, what you learn to listen to and enjoy when you were a teenager, early twenties, is what you're gonna enjoy the rest of your life. And I think it's true, you know, uh, uh, Elvis Presley, Ricky Nelson, (laughs) all those guys uh, were popular when I was a teenager, and uh, I still love that kind of music, you know, uh, 50s and 60s. When it gets into the 70s, my sister, that's her kind of music. And when it gets into the 80s, that's somebody else's kind of music, but I, I don't... I don't really uh, appreciate it like I should, I guess. Well, there's a lot of, like, uh, especially when you start getting into the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of that music was inspired by, uh, you know, they had some help, you know, with yeah. different drugs and alcohol <laughs> to, cre- to create some of that stuff. Maybe so. <laughs> uh, uh, but well, uh, Anyway, it's, uh, it's the way it is. And I enjoy, you know, the older uh, choruses and things. We don't sing much, but 
Bob Armbruster was telling me the other day, he said, uh, you know, I found an old uh, Elam chorus book. So he said it, it was entitled Songs They Sing at Elam. And he said, I looked through there and all those old choruses, and they all came back to me. And, well, you know, we sang some wonderful choruses back then. I didn't know they uh, had a book like that. Huh? I said, I didn't know they had a book like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I made it when years and years ago. When we first moved out here in 1969, I put that book together. and That's cool. Got a lot of uh, a lot of wonderful old courses. Yeah, one of the new ones is that uh, trust in God by the elevation do, uh, does it, and it says, "Blessed insurance, Jesus is mine. He's been my fourth man in the fire, time after time." Wow. I think that's going to be one of those for this generation. Yeah, uh, like the one we just listened to. That's going to because when you as soon as that first notice hit, everybody knows what it is, and their hands go up and they just begin to worship, not out of. Um, not from the conscience mind. It's just one of those things that are anointed, and you just automatically want yeah. to worship to it. You right. Know? Right. Uh, right. So very, very good. Um, all right, well, let's jump right into Culture Corner. Go ahead, Paul. Paul, give us a wrap. Well, that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. I, <guess. laughs> I didn't know if we'd do this today, but yeah, sure, I got we'll one, so we'll do it. Here's the title. You ready? Yep. Um, and it's not about animals. Okay. All so. right. Uh, kind of disappointing, but we haven't had an animal one in a while since the tortoise. I'll give you another one, I guess. <laughs> it's a French billionaire, Nicholas, I don't know how to say his last name. It's P-U-E-C-H. Okay. Puch? Puch? We'll okay. say Puch. We'll go, we'll go with it. French billionaire Nicholas Puch wants to adopt his middle-aged gardener and leave him half of his fortune. And uh, so okay. that's, that's the title. His fortune, by the way... Is like in the billions. Billion, billion air? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so this guy, Nicholas Puch, I'm sure I'm saying his Either name he wrong. has a very sorry family or his gardener's really good. Well, so he doesn't really have, uh, he doesn't have any kids or anything. Okay. That makes so sense. he is. Um, What's see, the gardener's name? We're going to get there. It doesn't say. He doesn't say it's his like, name. Never mind. He probably that. shouldn't say his name <laughs> <either>. <laughs> Now you find out he just suddenly has billions of dollars. It's probably yeah, yeah, not yeah, the best. Probably not. But okay, so here it goes. It says a reclusive fifth generation descendant of Euro- of one of Europe's richest families has reportedly made the bold and controversial decision to cut ties with the charity he founded. The eighty year old Nicholas Puch initially planned to leave most of his fortune to the charity, but earlier this year, in February twenty twenty three, he decided to adopt his fifty one year old former gardener and bequeath him billions instead. Mm. Bequeath. Mm. Whatever that means. Yeah. So it doesn't go into all the uh, – because nobody really knows for sure exactly why he's doing this. Um, supposedly he's going to have some press conference some sometime soon to say what's true and what's not. Yeah. But basically, so this guy, Puth, uh, says the childless, secretive, and somewhat mysterious descendant of Theory Hermes, believes how you say it, uh, who founded the luxury handbag brand Hermes – in 1837, has reportedly started the process of adopting his unnamed gardener, entitling the man to a major portion of Puch's estimated $11.5 billion fortune. $11 billion. That's how much he's got. $11 billion. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about a billion. 11, 11 of them. And a half. Don't forget that half. Yeah. Can you imagine? Listen. Can you imagine the church he was supposed to leave that to? <laughs> it was a charity. <laughs> and he was like, nah. Yeah, <laughs> that pastor was having heart attacks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he has some charity, or his family has some charity. Yeah, and apparently it was supposed to go to that, and for whatever reason, he's decided no, it's not going to the charity. I'm gonna leave it to this guy. Hmm. So he's adopting this guy. But so, um, in the article, just talks about the guy. He says how he doesn't have any kids. Um, the family made this luxury handbag brand, and that's why the family has all this money. Um, and now he's trying to give it to the gardener, unless he has a kid, which is funny because it says he's 80 years old, and he leaves that in there. It says unless he ends up having a kid, <laughs> everything's going to go to the gardener guy, wow. which is so, funny I mean, that he, he's still he, just hey, kind of like, – He might be still out there. I, heard from I guess. I, I don't hey, know. All the honeys out there. He's all by himself, though, for whatever reason. But so my takeaway from this is – so there's this other story, which is a true story. of I don't remember the family's name, but it was this rich – uh, 
I think they were European as well. Um, Europe's got too much money. They do. You know what? That's what it is. Uh, but they have this dog. There's a Netflix doc. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? Did yeah, you see I haven't it or seen you... it, but I heard about it. It's Some of it's interesting. The overall story is interesting. But basically, they have this dog, and uh, this lady decides to leave her fortune to her dog. To her dog, yeah. And so she goes through all the legal hoops so like that the she's dog. She's setting this dog up, like everything that's supposed to happen to this dog and all the things. Yeah. yeah. And it's hundreds of millions of dollars that this dog inherited. So she dies, and now the dog has all this money. He and just, so, and they have people that just take care of the dog, and they just pamper it's like the roofing dog. people around. But the whole point of this thing was, it really wasn't because she just loves the dog so much. It was really like this big tax evasion thing. So they have the person that's in charge because the dog can't manage the trust itself. So you have to have somebody that's in charge of the trust. And so that guy, he just has all the money. So he gets the dog fancy, like he feeds the dog caviar and stuff. No, nah, he walks in every day, like kicks the dog. Yeah. In the <laughs> no, he takes care of the dog. <laughs> But then he just, you know, he takes a yacht ride with the dog, too, and he takes a, and he does all that stuff. So that was basically the gist of it. So I imagine this guy has some kind of something like that where, for whatever reason, leaving it to the charity directly is not going to be the most beneficial. So he's a like, hey, man, let me give you this money. You take a little bit. It'll help us for whatever tax reasons or whatever. It reminds me when the Bible says do good in the small. Mm. Right? Not in the billions? I mean, he would, he would bless you with the more. Yeah. That's what this dude, like, tended the roses all, all his years on oh, the ground, oh. and he did good with the small. Yeah. And now here God would just like, listen, sir, you did good. You probably pay your tithes over the years. Let me just give you, you know, $4.5 billion. <laughs> a little something. A little something for all your hard work. So, yeah, so I don't know what the uh, – nobody – he hasn't said what the official reason is that he's given this guy all his money. Um but I imagine it has – I don't think it's just because he likes the guy and wants to give him billions of dollars. I imagine so, there's a little paperwork reason <laughs> somewhere under, behind me, the scenes. Let me ask, since we're talking about this, and uh, I got a question for Pastor here. Right, be- Sandra and I always dream about winning the lottery. We don't ever play, mm. but we dream about it. What will we, what will we do with all this money? Uh-huh. Uh, I think we played the lottery two times the whole time we've been married. And that's a long time. Yeah, it's been 25 years. Mm. And um, but we dream about it. What would we do for our family? And how would how would we how would we give the tithe if we won a billion dollars? How would we give that tithe to the church? And of course, we would. You just write them a check. Yeah, I know. But what, what, is it smart just to say? So, what would a tithe on a billion dollars be? A hundred million? Yeah. That's ten percent. So, would it be smart to say we're just going to give Elam Church a hundred million, or a hundred churches a million, or whatever it may be? You know what I'm saying? Um, and I just something that we've just we talked about over the years. Could, would it be smart to like kind of spread it around, yeah. or maybe just let Elam like decide what other charities they want to give it to, or whatever? I, I always thought, what do like, they get it all at once? Is it yeah, yeah. Over a period of time, a hundred years, you get a million dollars each. Biblically, you bring it to the to your house, right? right? Um. So, what what is your thoughts on that? Uh, bring it to Elon. <laughs> <laughs> bring it here. Yeah. <laughs> the safe. <laughs> yeah, the safe Pastor Ron. Uh, uh, that's funny. That's funny. I should not. I should ask somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think should get it? Uh, I don't know. For me, I'll. You know, I got cousins and and uncles and they have churches and things like that. So hey, I'm, you got a billion. Come on. I'm a right. Give the hundred million to Elam. Give another two or three hundred to <laughs> yeah. somebody else. Yeah. 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 Why do you want to keep 90% of it, I man? Mean, I don't <laughs> Somebody said, man, if I, I had might want to buy Twitter. Huh? Yeah. I might want to buy Twitter. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Just good luck. You could, probably get, you could probably get a deal on it. Yeah, days. right, right, right. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I, would, I would definitely pay my ties. I don't know. That's just one of the things that I, I thought about. Like, kind of spread this. But you're right, like. A billion? Like, what's another hundred million? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. The, the, the problem is, we're, 
you know, we live in the thousands, right? (laughs) So it's hard to really think about a billion and, like, how much you could really spend. Yeah. Because if we go out, we spend, you take your family out, and you spend, you know, for all my kids, and I pay the bill, it's going to be four or five hundred bucks, you know, take them to a decent restaurant. But Four or five hundred, jeez. Well, I got five kids. Oh, you're taking all of them. Yeah, you know, if you take all of them, it's going to be expensive. And their kids. Yeah, and their, their kids. Families their families. Right, right, right. It's like 15 people. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, but for a billionaire, that's, you know, that's like going and buying soda. Yeah. Yeah. So. Dude, there was a story. I think I talked about this a long time ago. But uh, I think it was Jay-Z went out. It was his friend's birthday. And he takes his friend out for a night on the town, and he spent. He ends up spending like a hundred thousand dollars on this friend, buying him expensive bottles of champagne and all this stuff, taking him nice restaurants, all that stuff. And so there was this article that was talking trash about Jay Z being like a hundred thousand in one night. You know, you could have done this and that with yeah. that money, like one of those kind of dumb things. Yeah. And uh, the person I was listening to, I think it was Dave Ramsey, was talking about that story. And Dave Ramsey was like, "You guys, the money is so different." For different people. He's like, you don't understand. And he breaks it down. He, like, Googles Jay-Z's net worth or whatever. I don't remember what it was. But basically the math ended up to Jay-Z spending $100,000 in one night uh, with his amount of money was, like, it was as if somebody who made, like, $40,000 a year went out and spent $10 on dinner. It was, like, the equivalent. Like, he made however many hundred millions of dollars that year. And so for him to spend 100000 was basically... Like somebody who made forty or fifty grand spending ten bucks on dinner. Wow! And then he was like, if he wants to do that for a friend, also all the bottles he was buying and stuff was like his own liquor brand. Yeah. So he's <laughs> getting his own promo and like buying his own product. That was most of it too. Oh, and he tipped the people, you know, like ten thousand dollars or whatever on his bill yeah, and stuff. And so different. he was like, it's different. <laughs> it's not the same thing. We'll never know what that is. I mean, <laughs> hopefully God would one day give that much money to me, but. I don't think so. But hey, <laughs> I don't know. You seen your truck out there? You seen his truck, Pawpaw? I'm telling you. It's insane, it. this guy. He, he yeah. called it a limousine. Yeah, he's got, <laughs> he got the Ford limo, high rise. Yeah. Uh, God's good, man. Yeah. Work hard. You know, do the, you know. But not till, billion dollars. Till hunt. the soil like this, this man yeah. did. You know, he was working the soil. He was and, quite literally working the soil. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working the water, baby. You, dude, the, water, the water I'm, I'm working is anointed, baby. Yeah, and we're happy for it. <laughs> we are. Uh, very, very good. Hey, I, uh, we grabbed Pastor this morning. I had this idea about leadership. And then as we started talking this morning, uh, he started talking about church growth. And it's kind of all, you have to have a great leader to have uh, to have a plan for church growth. And so I grabbed him this morning, and I knew that he was working on some other stuff. So this was not like him just having to pull this off at the top of his head. Because if you go into his office, <laughs> I mean, he pulled this. What did you say? This book came from 1995? 1995. This book came May from 28, 1995. It's a spiral. I was one year old. Handwritten <laughs> handwritten notes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who does that anymore. Do you still write handwritten? No. No, you, no, you no. type now? When no. did you start type, typing messages? Um, two thousand and two. Okay, goodness. Two thousand and two. So that was what twenty years ago, basically. Yeah. Oh, so you was a young man. You was in your sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Make you feel good, David. That's true. Oh goodness! Come on, guys. It's time for me to take a nap. All right, so. Uh, I asked him to come in and talk, you know, then he started talking this. I know this is the perfect podcast. Yeah. You know, we was talking about it before our staff meeting this morning. Um, so I guess at the very, very top of it, before we get into the, like the church growth, what, in your opinion, what makes a good leader? Followers. <laughs> you can't be a leader unless somebody's following you. There you go. There you go. There's a. I don't know. There's different personalities and different people that seem to be good leaders. Uh, and I don't know how you just define what that quality is. 
You have to be a servant for yep. sure. That's what Jesus said. If you want to be great in his kingdom, you got to learn to be a servant. Matter of fact, he said you got to learn to be a slave. Uh, you really have to love people genuinely, not use people, but you want to help people succeed. And I don't know. It's hard to put a you put your finger on, you know, who makes a good leader. Yeah, I think a good leader uh, has to uh, has to be a follower first. They have to understand how to follow to to be a leader. You know, I've worked over the years of, of leaders, and and they were born into it. They never had to follow. They was always the head of the company. They was always the supervisor. They was always, and they, you know, they grew up, and they was never good leaders because they never knew how to follow. Yeah. So how do you know what that's supposed to look like? And and like you said that, uh, you know, it takes a, it takes a different personality. I think. Can you can you become a leader, or are you born to be a leader? Uh, no, I think you can. I think you can uh, learn to be a leader. Yeah. I think you can if you work at it. Uh, you can be better. You know, some people are born with certain uh, gifts and talents and so forth. That, uh, and I don't know how you put a, uh, you know, your finger on that. Right. But it takes uh, it takes work to learn things about leadership and right. so forth. But I don't know. I, I, it seems like. For whatever reason, uh, God's given me uh, the ability to to lead. You know, if I was on a jury, they would elect me to be the foreman. Right. And I, and I don't know why, you know. I, I And I've never seen a stage that I didn't want to get up on, you know. It's <laughs> like, anybody want to be the foreman? I. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer for that. But, I mean, some people, they... I, I see situations, and I say, "Somebody got to, sh- got to lead this thing. Yeah. Somebody's got to uh, get it organized." And, and and I don't know. That's just. I guess you're born with something like that. Yeah. But then you can be an obnoxious leader, you know. Yeah. And uh, that doesn't work either. But I, I, you know, I have that ability to to uh, lead and inspire people i think yeah when i was when i was just young uh joe wright was at the old church yeah he stood me up it's preteen, probably 10 11 12 something like that um uh, and called me you know and just you know read read our mail like he, he did and called me out that it was going to be yeah. a leader and a preacher one day and mm-hmm. all those things <clears throat> so as a as a youngster that really didn't make a whole lot of sense to really understanding what god's plans were in the, in, in the future but growing up in business, uh, in groups, people would always look to me like, yeah. "Are you, are you, are you going to lead this?" Like, "Well, I'm not the leader in this thing." Yeah. But they they seen leadership uh, in it, so they always look to you. And I think that when you um, when you look around the room, if somebody has those natural leadership skills, I believe it comes from an anointing of the Lord. Yeah. Um, Elvis Presley, you was talking about yeah. a ago. That was an anointing of the of the Lord yeah. in his life that he just took a different direction, right? Right. So a lot of those things that we don't understand where they come from, but God ordained yeah. as just a, a little uh, kid or before you yeah. was born for you to be that natural leader for Him, and then it depends on us the way that we take it. So, yeah, there's leaders in in gangs. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah. they they have that ability. Uh, what we need to do is take that ability and use it for God's kingdom, his glory, you know. Very good. So it takes a leader um, in any organization um, to navigate whatever we're doing. And we're talking about it more of an, in, a, in a church setting here. Um, so it takes a, a qualified leader to lead a church, to cast a vision, um, to to get the people behind them, to to fulfill the calling on the leader that the that God has anointed them with. And that's kind of something that I wanted to uh, talk about today with with Pastor Ron. 
more of a in a church building, church growth setting. Um, and uh, a lot of this stuff that he's going to be referencing today is um, almost a rally call. You know, when God had blessed you guys or us with this building, and now how are we going to fill it up? Right? We, we from, went from a sanctuary that was 100 to now we probably can fit, what, 800. Yeah. In, in our, and so, so pastor, as the leader of the church, you was uh, now you had to have a rally call to the people because you can't fill it up yourself. And uh, so how did, how did you go by, uh, about doing that? Well... Um, let me back up a little bit on okay. that. You know, we started out in, uh, when I became the pastor in 1982, uh, we had the building across the street would seat maybe 150 people, 200, you know, elbow to elbow, but, uh, you can't, uh, sustain that that it just won't you know when when you get 75 80 uh of your seats filled it's full it's full matter of fact you know we have about right at 800 chairs in our auditorium here now we could put a thousand in there it's built for a thousand but you know you spread them out a little bit and so forth uh but when you get four or five hundred people in there i mean it looks it looks full yeah you know but anyway i i uh had a mandate from from god and i think you have to have that to start with in 1969 when we built that building to start with i was one of the trustees here and i uh, I come over here every day and see see. Uh, and we're talking about in 1969. You was really a young man there. How, yeah. how old was how old was you? Well, 69. I was about 28 years old or something. Okay. So, uh, but I was one of the trustees, and I was a song leader, and I was a choir leader, and I was really a part of the leadership here. And I was so excited about that new building, and and I remember going over there and having a vision I, I i was standing on the slab and it all it had was those laminated beams up there and, and god showed me what he wanted to do here it was going to be a big big church and uh, i felt like pastor mcgee would be the pastor and i'd be the song leader and all of that stuff and it was so strong that uh but then things happened and i ended up leaving the church and I was in Assembly of God Church for uh, about eight years total, and then God called me back to be the pastor here, and and that vision came back, just like you know the star started shining again, and God said, "I'm going to use you to build this church." I showed you, and and so uh, we only had about fifty people, but I felt like. God, you're gonna. We're gonna see this church grow, and we're gonna have several hundred people. And and uh, so, how do you do that? We got a church that at that time, Pastor Rector had enlarged the church a little bit, and and I guess packed out. You could maybe put 180, 200 people in a sanctuary. Uh, but we began to grow, and uh, I started praying, God, I want. I want 500 people. And uh, I got to thinking about it. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> we can only see the 180. How in the world, I'm praying for 500, but how can you get 500? That's not going to happen. Something's got to change. Right. And so the first thing I said, well, let's go to two services. And uh, because I'm telling you, uh, you'll never grow bigger than the facilities you have. Right. And back then, we came from a church over there, Houston Gospel Tabernacle, didn't have a parking lot. They just everybody parked on the street. Mm-hmm. Well, anybody that knows anything about church growth, they know that you got to have parking. If you don't have <laughs> parking for 
you know, ever how many people you want. Yeah. That's a, the parking lot's going to keep you from growing. Right. If you can only park, uh, you know, 25 cars and you need 50 cars to to grow, well, you got to get more parking there. You're not growing. Yeah, well, these days they won't even give you a permit for the building no, no, unless no, you, you have can't. enough parking. Well, that's what happened when we were trying to build a church across the street. We didn't have enough room for parking. And uh, so we couldn't get the permits. And God, well, that's a whole nother story, but God was working it all out to start with. But the point is, uh, I, I said, Lord, I want, I want to see 500 people. God says, you can't. There's no way. You're going to have to make some changes. And that's one of the points about church growth. Uh, you got to be willing to make some changes. Mm, that's good. And uh, we'll talk about that more, but. Uh, so we had to make some changes and the first change was to go to, you know, go to two services. And, and I'm telling you the first Sunday we went to two services, the attendance grew by 20, 25%. I, I've never forgotten that the Sunday before we had maybe uh, 220 people or something. I don't know. And that Sunday we almost had 300. Wow. Just because we went to two services, so you got to make you got to be willing to make changes. So that, that movie, uh, I forgot what it was. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it, you know, there's got to be a lot of other things <laughs> involved in that. There's a lot of big churches that are empty. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But but that's one thing. You know, you you've got to you can pray for growth all you want, but you've got to make some. You know some changes and and get ready for growth. Infrastructure, yeah. I mean, you know, I think about my my daughter and son-in-law there in, in Centerville, and uh, you know they had that little. They started off in a in a little storefront thing. Well, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna grow to. 100 people when the place would only seat 20 you know what i mean yeah and uh you gotta you gotta give them credit my son-in-law uh i am so proud of that guy he he was uh instrumental in getting that land on the freeway and then he was the guy in charge of building that new building and then he decided uh hey we need a we need a gymnasium, and he he decided he was going to build a gymnasium, and now the the church is doing very well. I don't know how many they have, but maybe a hundred people now. When they maybe more, I, I I haven't been there in a while, but the church is doing very well in a little small town. But if they're going to grow bigger than that, uh, they'd have to have a bigger sanctuary and so forth. So so, church growth involves a lot of different things. We might talk about that. But the first thing is God has to give you the vision, and this is what I want to happen at Elam Church. And that happened here. Uh, you know, the church began to grow, and and if we were going to grow anymore, we were going to have to have a bigger building, have a bigger place, more land for parking and all of that stuff. And, and so uh, I try to go to the bank and... Get some, get a, a loan to do that. And the banker said, "We'll give you all the money you want if you build out here on Fairmont Parkway because of all the angle churches are going out to Fairmont Parkway. But we're not giving you any money at all to build over there because that's all going to be Hispanic. And of course, he was right about that. Probably ninety-eight percent of the people that live around our church are Hispanic. So, in order to to know what God wanted to do, I had to really, you know, I have to really pray about it. God, do you want us to remain predominantly an Anglo church? Or what do you want? You know, I mean, should we stay here? Or should we try to get some land on Fairmont Parkway or whatever? And again, God spoke to me and said, no, I want this church to be, a, uh, you know, multi cultural church, racial church. Uh, I want you to stay where you are because I've got a lot of people there that, that need a good church. And 
And, and so God really spoke to me about that. But, you know, it, that's another uh, change. <laughs> a lot of people, Anglo people, they want to be in an Anglo church. Black people want to be in a black church. Hispanic people want to be in a Hispanic church. Everybody said, well, that's easy to get have a multi-racial hmm. church. No, it's not. Yeah. And uh, but you got to be willing to say, God, just whoever, that's who we want in our church, and and some of the I'm, I'm sure that's a tough decision, right? Well, because well, you, you'll lose people oh, by yeah. saying just that. And you're here, you are. You're trying to grow the church, and then you say, Hey, look, we're going to stay yeah. here. We're going to open up to every every race and yeah. everything. And then here you go, like you well, know, it's just ten like, percent of your people leave. It's just like Anglo people want their their kids to be in a Anglo school. They want them to be in a, uh, you know, in a, a church where all the other little kids are Anglo kids. And I guess same way with Hispanics and same way with blacks. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm an Anglo. So I just know that when you do that now, if you look at our children's church and our youth group, very few Anglo's right. in that group. You just got to be my kids. honest about it. Yeah, my kids, my grandkids, yeah. and that's, when you have the Christmas program, that's who. Yeah. All the rest are, are Hispanic or whatever, and uh, you got to be willing to say, "Hey, this is God's people." And now I get to thinking about some of the big churches, powerful churches. Churches like the Brooklyn Tabernacle got the greatest choir in, 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 in the country and so forth. Uh, look at that church. Very few Anglos, except the pastors, you know, was Anglo and some uh, some others. But it's a great church. Right. So you got to be willing to say, God, what do you want our church to be? And uh, And I had to be willing to say that here at Elam and and I love it thank God I mean this is this is what uh, Houston is <laughs> yeah this is what Pasadena is and uh thank God we're we're part of it I mean in God's eyes there's neither male nor female Jew or Greek you know we're all one we're there's a new race and it's called Christians <laughs> And it don't matter what color you are, how much money you have. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And and it's going to be that way in heaven. <laughs> it ain't going to be all Anglos in heaven, and it's not going to be all blacks or all Hispanics. We're all just going to be one. And, and so I love our church, but you have to be willing to change. Yeah, You have to be willing to change. And I knew if we stayed here, we'd have to... Be willing to change. All you got to do is look around. There ain't an Anglo church in in this part of Pasadena, right? Except yeah. us, and we're not Anglo. We're multiracial, multi generational, and all of that stuff. So, very good. I think change is the one of the. Uh, uh, it's interesting that you put it at the top because, uh, you know, at the top is very goes, you know, who you are, what's your vision, what has God called you to do? And the very next thing is willing to change because that's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, your churches look the same. It's been the same. You might move from a building to building, but everybody always around you is kind of, you know, been from the same type of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, generations growing up the same way. And then now God is just saying, now we got to open this up to everybody. Yeah, and from and from the pastor down, there's got to be some like changes in your heart. Absolutely, you know, changes in your mindset, and, and uh, so Absolutely. I think when you when you do that, you have to tackle the big one at the top. You mm-hmm. know, try to change some of those things that mm-hmm. always been and always will be to say no that they might have always been, but they're not going to always be that way because God's got a, a greater vision than the color of somebody's skin. Well, all you got to do is look at the churches here in Pasadena, uh, in, in this part of Pasadena. New Pasadena, I mean, you know, it's gone out to Fairmont Parkway and on out further. And, and, uh, but the older part of Pasadena, where you had uh, 
First Methodist Church, had First Baptist Church, had South Main Baptist Church, had all these churches that were Anglo churches, and none of them are still here. They've all moved out to where the Anglo people moved. Uh, and so that's just normally the way it works. Uh, just look anywhere. I, I look over there in where we started in, in East End off of Harrisburg, Wayside Navigation, that area. It's all Hispanic. There is not an Anglo church there. Mm-hmm. And so you got to be realistic about it. God does say count the cost here. If you're going to stay in this area, can you grow? Can you? And, um, you know, I, I'm sure in my heart that God said stay right there and I'm going to make this church a, a multi-rational church. Especially when you're talking about a, a larger type church. Yeah. You know, because... When you have a, a church of a hundred, you know your your annual budget might be a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Which is a whole lot easier to raise than you know maybe yeah. for a larger church. Now your a, annual budget is a million, one point five, two million dollars yeah. a year, mm-hmm. and now you're especially in the uh, community that you're in, um, it's harder to raise that much money, even when you have more people in uh, in certain areas of, of town. Well, that's something else that you got to know that you know that God's telling you what to do. Right. Because uh, uh, most people in our church, they just, they don't make 100000 a year. Right. I mean, they may maybe make less than fifty, and some less than that. And you got to think about it. Well, how in the world are we going to do everything we do uh, and stay in this area. We yeah. need to get out there where some people are, you know, have making money where the tithe will come in and we'll be able to. And, and believe me, I thought about all of that. Right. I said, uh, God, I don't know. You want us to stay here and you want us to build a church? How are we going to do all of that? And I'm telling you, the Lord said to me, you just. You just reach out to people nobody else wants, and said, "I'll, I'll make sure you, that I'll provide the the finances." Yeah. And you know, you were talking a while ago about, boy, what about if we won the lottery and we gave it all of that and give a hundred million to the church? And I said, "Give it to Elam." That might not be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, when I was a younger man, I used to drive a concrete mixer for Parker Brothers. Mm-hmm. Parker Brothers, uh, their mother, the boys owned that company, and their mother was a Methodist. And uh, they decided they were going to build their mother a church. And they built it over there on Wayside. It was called Parker Memorial Methodist Church. Beautiful church. But it never did anything. And finally, they sold it, and I think there's a Fiesta store there and that's something now. But it was a beautiful church. As a matter of fact, uh, our, our, I went to Austin High School, and we had some, I don't know, the backyard or something in, in that church, a beautiful church. But nobody had, had the sacrifice to, to build it. Mm-hmm. It was just given to them. They didn't know what it meant to sacrifice. Yeah, it's so good. And they didn't have uh, ownership of that church, and it never did anything. And and the thing about our church is, man, everybody here had a part in sacrificing to build the church and raise the money, and and it makes a big difference. Yeah, you know. We didn't have anybody give us a hundred million or a million or a hundred thousand. Yeah, it was just everybody giving what they could, you know. And when you when you do that, I think it means a whole lot more to you than just saying, "Well, I didn't have to put anything into this." Yeah, in the in the in the business world, you know that you know when you go to the different leadership stuff is they always tell you you got to get the rest of your team's buy in. Mm-hmm. Right, and if you get their buy-in, then you can then you can be successful in the things that you want to do, and that's exactly what y- y'all did here. Is you got yeah. everybody's buy-in, and literally, 
Yeah. You know, you sew bonds <laughs> yeah. uh, and blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, yeah. uh, you and your family, I think your mom, re- did your mom rebuild some of these lights or oh, something? Oh, yeah, she worked, worked. We all worked hard. Yeah. And and built a place. It's just like those chairs out there. Uh, I, I bought 20 of those chairs. Right. Well, that's the issue now because now people are saying, this is my chair. Yeah, well, let me tell you. <laughs> 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 no, but everybody bought, you know, the chairs were $35 a piece back then. That was a long time ago. And, and uh, people, you know, they bought the chairs. Same thing with the, you know, with the palm trees out there. Uh, everybody bought a palm tree. Every, we got some skin in the game, you yeah. know. It's and my church. It's my church. Yeah. Matter of fact, a couple of years ago, we we had that thing. This yeah. is my church. Yeah, because people coming in now, they don't realize right. the sacrifice. Man, I'm telling you, uh, people made big sacrifice. My wife and I made. Well, we call it a sacrifice, but God blesses you right. when you do that. We, you know, uh, we never gave more than He gave back to us. That's for sure. But but you got to be willing to do it. Right. And I'm not sure even right now is, you know, Pastor Mark wants to make some uh, kind of update the church update a little bit. the church a little bit. We need new carpet. We need a lot of new things around here. But are people willing to make the sacrifice to do it? You know, right. I think you're seeing what you I think you're seeing what um, what you see typically in churches now. Mm-hmm. Now you got about 20 percent, fifteen percent of the people that are willing to make the sacrifice. Well, it, it's always got, it's always been that way. And then you got about eighty percent of the people that are willing to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. It's always been that way. Yeah. And that historically, about twenty percent do eighty percent of the work. Eighty percent of the people do twenty percent of the work. Right. You know. But you got to have those people that are willing to. To give and sacrifice. Yeah. So you got to cast a vision. You got to be willing to change. Uh, what would be a, another one there? Well, uh, you know, as we look at these notes that I had uh, a little earlier, and uh, I actually wrote this is a message that I preached in May of 1995. We m- moved into this building in. January of 1995, so just five months after we moved into this building, uh, I preached this message about how how large do we want our church to be. That time we came from a church that seated maybe 180 people or so to a church that could seat potentially a thousand people, and uh, you know I said. How large do we want our church to grow? Mm-hmm. Do we just want it to be, you know, a big because we can say, man, look at our church, we got a big church. Or do we want to grow because there's people all around this area that are lost and they're not going to heaven and there's a church that needs to reach out to them and not just to say how big we are, but look at what God's doing. And so, you know, I said, we had the potential in this building to have uh, a thousand people coming, maybe even 2,000 with multiple services and so forth. But I said it wasn't going to automatically happen. We had to plan for it. We had to structure for growth. We had to have the leadership for growth. And... And uh, so I had my cousin, Jabo Green, who passed away a couple of years ago. But he built a big church in spring. He called it Spring Tabernacle back then. And I wanted him to come and give us some lessons on leadership. So he came for three three weeks and uh, taught us about uh, leadership. And... uh, so I, I took those notes and I said, I want the whole church, because it was just leaders that were in those meetings. And uh, I wanted the whole church to kind of hear what he had to say. So I, I preached this message uh, about what he said to us. And, you know, he talked about 
most churches in America are less than 100 people, and they never grow. Uh, 90% of the churches in America are less than 100 people. Actually, most of them are less than 50 people. Well, why is that? Well, uh, he taught us, and I knew this from John Maxwell's leadership, you know, lessons and so forth. Uh, the, The main reason is that one pastor can only effectively pastor 100 people. Uh, it's impossible for one person to pastor more than 100 people effectively. So uh, for the church to grow, you you have to develop leadership to help you with with the membership. And so the, the ratio goes something like this. For every 100 people in the church, there's got to be a full-time person on the church staff. And for every staff person, there has to be 15 to 20 volunteers uh, in leadership for the church. So if you have a pastor of 100 people, one, you got to develop 15 to 20 leaders to help him. Someone to teach Sunday school, somebody to lead the worship, the ushers, and all of that sort of stuff. If you have a 1,000 people in your church, you've got to multiply that number by 10. So there should be at least 10 full-time people on the staff, and then you should have at least 150 to 200 leaders in the church to support the pastoral staff and sustain the growth and, and so on and so forth. So... Some people got this idea that church growth is automatic, but that's not true. If you want to grow as a church, you got to have a plan for growth. You got to have dedicated volunteers who'll do the work that's necessary for the growth, and you got to be willing to change, like we talked about a while ago. So let's let's look at that for a second. So when I hear that, I hear you need a Timothy. You need a discipleship program. Absolutely. And I think that if without a discipleship program, without Timothy's in your church, and you being intentionally intentional about it, that there's no way that you could have infrastructure to grow. If God has called you to be a bigger church, because yeah, we yeah. know that God has called pastors to only yeah the only pastor a hundred people. Yeah. But if you want, if God has called you to do something bigger, you have to have some type of discipleship program. Absolutely. I mean, if you're trying to do it and God hadn't called you to do it, you're wasting your time anyway. Right. But, uh, no, if God's called you to do it, uh, then you have to have a plan and you have to understand, uh, you know, what that is. Uh, I, uh, you know, I decided a long time ago that uh, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get the same results. And so, uh, you know, you, the structure that you had to sustain a church of 100 or less, it won't be adequate to sustain a church of 500. Right. For every two or 300 you get, you're going to have to make some structural changes. Because you'll, you'll, you'll come to a church where people won't come to your church, but if you don't find a place to plug them in yeah. and to nurture them, they're going to leave and go somewhere else. Yeah, And we have to identify those people quickly, get them plugged in, get them in a discipleship pl- program so they can uh, take one of these spaces that, that really the church needs to develop to go to the next step. Yeah. You know... Uh, I talked about in that message. You got to do some things too that maybe you haven't done before. I remember when I decided years ago we'd have an Easter egg hunt and 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 invite the whole neighborhood to come, you know, for the Easter egg hunt. And we had some people in the church. Well, we shouldn't even be doing that. Easter eggs, or you know, that's. that's all pagan stuff, and we're, uh, you know, you always have opposition to stuff. They forgot they was unsaved at once. Yeah, right. Yeah, they I were mean, born you know. saved. Yeah. But anyway, and, and we so we started doing the Easter egg hunt, 
And uh, that was when we moved over here in 1995, and we had all this land out here. Well, my goodness, people started coming to the Easter egg hunt. We give them free hot dogs. We still do that. Mm -hmm. And it's a great outreach to the whole community. And goodness, we'll have 1,000 people here or more, 500 kids, you know, out there. Uh, so I remember going to a little church in San Antonio and, uh, I don't know, they probably had 50, 60 people in the church. They had a few little kids, not too many. And they, they had just bought a, a lot across the street from the church, about a half acre. And, uh, the, the pastor had just gone there and he asked me to come preach and so forth. And, you know, I said, you know, you need to do some things for Church Grove. <laughs> this was several years ago. I said, one of the things we do is we do an Easter egg hunt. And I said, it brings a lot of kids in. And you got this man that had kids all around that church. You got a lot over there. Why don't you get some plastic eggs and, you know, put some signs up and invite the neighborhoods over here. And I said, uh, as a matter of fact, we'll just raise some money to buy those eggs. It costs money. That's another thing. So uh, I took an offering up, and we got, I don't know, several hundred dollars, enough to buy the eggs and everything. Boy, that pastor was all excited about it. And uh, a few weeks later, I, I called him. How'd that go with the Easter egg? Oh, we didn't do it. Ah. Said my wife, uh, my wife said, we, we can't do that. We don't want to do that. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, this church is never going to grow. Yeah. And, and so he gave the Easter eggs, had a thousand eggs. He gave them to uh, Pastor David Cook, also in San Antonio. He used them, had a big, had a big thing. Oh my goodness, there goes my phone. Farming here, what's going on? <laughs> That's my wife calling, and I'm in trouble now for not answering the phone. <laughs> uh oh, it's time for lunch, too. Uh, yeah. It can't be time yet. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness, that's it what, is. That's what she's talking, calling about. Oh, yeah. man, I'm not near through with this. Uh, but anyway, you got to be willing to do some things, some different things. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember that Easter. We, we had a barbecue, and we had an outdoor concert, and we played games, and we did all that stuff. And, and we we had almost a 1,000 people. 900 and, well, I don't know, wrote it down here somewhere, 970-something people in Sunday school, I mean in church that Sunday. So you got to be willing to do all of that. Uh, you got to be brave enough to do all that stuff. Uh, and then after that, I, I said, last week we had live lions in the church. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a, well, will it work? Will they mess our new carpet up will they stink will anybody come we've never done anything like this before can we afford it will the money come in we found and last sunday morning we had 926 people in attendance this was in 1995 and the second largest attendance for one service in the history of the church and we had a combined attendance of over 2,000 for three services we had 500 visitor cards filled out and uh, think about that for a minute. In that one meeting, 500 visitor cards. Wow. And uh, we, uh, we wouldn't have that many in a year yeah. normally. And, and that's called making an impact. That's called doing something different. And uh, I like what so, you said so right there. You said you have to be brave. You have to be brave. Yeah, you that's have to good. Say we can do that. Yeah. And by the way, you can't do that anymore. That was stupid. What's that? <laughs> Having a lion. Having a lion. Oh man, I was, I was already thinking like, how do we do that again? Yeah. <laughs> you still got a lion guy? Hey, we found the this guy, king. and he he had these lions up up around Centerville, Texas. Uh, <laughs> And and he had this ministry that Daniel in the lion's den. He's just a young guy, but he had lions and tigers and stuff. And I said, man, that sounds great. Bring them on over. I bet you ain't allowed no more. And yeah. He, oh, no, no, you couldn't do <laughs> or, that Or he's now. missing a hand, one or the yeah, other. <laughs> but he brought those those lions 
Well, actually, those tigers, you know, a tiger's a whole lot bigger than a lion. Yeah. Humongous. He brought them tigers on a leash down the aisle with a hundred, I mean, a thousand people sitting in there. On a leash? On a leash. <laughs> a dog leash. Down there. Cat. And, uh, Cat. I, I mean, the it just made an impact. And, he, you know, we got that fountain out in front of the church. Uh-huh. And he let those lions go out there and bathe in that fountain, and it made a traffic jam on Richie because <laughs> nobody could believe it. Are those real lions? Are those real tigers? But, uh, I mean, it's it just, uh, it just amazing what what things can do. I know we got, you know, I can listen, talk forever. But listen, I, listen if, you, if I don't want to rush through this. We can make a two-parter out of this if you're willing to come back next week and do it and finish it off. Well, I'd like to tell you what what these sacrifices are that that you got to do if you're going you're going to grow. Yeah, do it. So let's do it. My wife's out there waiting to go to. Lunch. She's already waiting. She's going to love to yeah. wait some more. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> Sorry, Grandma. Let's do it next week. That would be it. great. Yeah, let's do it next week, and that way we don't have to rush through it. We can get through because I mean the stuff that we talked about earlier was yeah. just so good, and I don't. I'd rather give the people all the information than than, than yeah. rush through it. And, okay, uh, because I, this is really really good. I'm taking notes, you okay. know, because uh, Lord, you know, willing one day I might be a leader or somewhere that somebody might listen to me and I could use this. Well, <laughs> yeah. Some of this stuff you got you got to be willing to do it if you're going to grow. Right. I'm telling you, I've seen. We talked about this morning. There's some people can really preach, but they've yeah. been preaching to the same 50 people for the last 15 years. Right. Uh, they haven't grown. For well, sure. Why is that, you know? For sure. All right. Well, well th- thanks for stopping by today, and then we'll look, look forward to having you back next week. And we love you. This is The Refuge Project.